Consistently during the current global pandemic, open science collaboration has contributed to the rapid translation of clinical and scientific knowledge into successful treatments. Despite this fact, many stakeholders still hesitate to construct policies and practices to support the adoption and implementation of open science. Therefore, concerns remain about inequities in the global information system and access to its benefits. Welcome to Pfizer's podcast series celebrating this year's International Open Access Week. I'm Martin Delahanty, and I will be your host. Throughout this week, I will be interviewing experts working within clinical and medical disciplines who will share their perspectives on the impact and benefit of open science for patients and key stakeholders. Dr. Akil Bansal is a medical doctor and an associate medical writer at Oxford Pharmagenesis. He joins me as my guest for the conversation today. Welcome, Akil, to the program. Thanks for having me. You recently wrote a blog on the link between health inequity and the inability to access and publish publications related to clinical practice. Can you share your thinking, please? I I think we have to start with the background premise that there is a well-established correlation and, in fact, causation between one's ability to access timely evidence-based practice and the quality of clinical care that you're then consequently able to offer. If we take that to be true then, it's therefore very easy to see how if there's inequity in your ability to access and publish clinical research, there'll be inequalities in the quality of clinical care as well. So taking those two things separately, we have to consider where there may be inequities in the ability to publish, uh, access published, uh, published literature and the ability to publish. On the first, on the ability to access published literature, open science has made significant headways within this. A number of journals have come up with open access policies. We have large organizations like WHO coming out with things like Coalition and Plan S. And we have the work of of lobbying groups within the pharmaceutical industry like Open Pharma. But we know that there are gaps within this. And those who tend to suffer tend to be those who are in low and middle income countries and those who aren't affiliated with tertiary institutes. Because of that, these stakeholders often fall through the gaps and they can't access published literature. And because of that, they're unable to offer the best quality care to their patients. The second issue is the ability to publish. Now, There was an article in PLOS One from a few years ago, which was a bibliometric analysis from the last 50 years. And it looked at authorships for for major journals. And they found that Anglo countries and high income countries dominate authorship lists. So the reasons for that are, are understandable. There's significant costs and time investment in producing academic research. But because of that, we're seeing that lower middle income countries and those who aren't affiliated with tertiary institutes, again, aren't able to publish their work in the same way. How does this inequity then impact patients? Well, I think think it, it impacts them in a few ways. Firstly, it means that doctors and healthcare professionals can't access the best evidence based practice. A lot of information that doctors will need on a day-to-day basis will come from guidelines and textbooks. 
but more and more we're moving towards sub and highly specialized medicine, which requires timely access to information. You can't rely on a textbook from 10 years ago or your medical school knowledge from 20 years ago. So there are many instances where doctors in their day-to-day practice will need to access perhaps a publication from three years ago about a specific complex clinical scenario. And if they're unable to lock to access that information because um, it's a subscription-based only, then they might not be able to offer the best quality of care to their patients. The second way that this inequity impacts patients is a, is a bit more complex to see. But the reason is, the rationale is, in order to offer the best quality of care to your patients, there needs to be published literature about that population. And so if researchers are unable to conduct and publish research about their specific community, then other people within that community will be unable to use that evidence. And you'll get essentially this bridge this bridge in the literature where you have a lot of information, say from, from high income countries and populations and demographics that are representative of those, but you won't get as much data and information from other demographics. I see. So how do we better bridge these divides between wealthy nations and lower and middle income countries? It's a really tough question. And I think it's important to note at the start here that a lot has been done. So we look at things like Hinari, which is making it a lot easier for for people from low and middle income countries to publish their research. We look at the initiatives like the new journal Scientific African, which specifically highlights and publishes research um, from African countries and African researchers and offers them quite low publication costs. And those are two really good approaches to making, uh, making it easy to both publish and access information when you are in a low and middle income country. There are some other novel approaches that are being considered as well. In India, for example, the government is pushing a fairly bold proposal that would make scholarly research available to everyone in the country by having a nationwide subscription to a particular journal rather than agreements with individual institutions or individual people. And do pharmaceutical companies that are publishing research have a role to play? I think pharmaceutical companies do have an extremely integral role to play. I think the first step is them to be interested and actively engaged in this conversation about open science. I think that that's the first step, acknowledging that this is a problem and something that should be cared about. Then there are tangible steps that I think they can take from there as well. The first I would say is that each individual pharmaceutical company could make goals or set quotas or have its own policy about open access. They could, for example, say, encourage or have a policy regarding encouraging different author groups to to use open access or to include this in their costing, to make an opt-out system from open access. Those would all be really helpful ways of going about it. Secondly to that, I think that in addition to promoting open access and publications that they produce, they can more actively seek out research collaborators from low and middle income countries as well. So I think that those are two tangible steps that they could take um, in the short to medium term. But speaking more broadly, this issue can't be solved by just one stakeholder. Even though pharmaceutical companies can play a really integral role, there might be some things that are, that are out of their control as well. And that's completely, that's completely acceptable and, and just the reality of things. But I think the pharmaceutical 
companies in that instance can be really key and important advocates um, for open access. They can start engaging in these conversations with journals, try and engage with governments about these kind of things and, and kind of further this mission from, from their perspective. Some great recommendations there. So maybe to finish, what what is your vision for a more equitable and sustainable open science system for clinical publications? I think it's I think it's very simple. I think that ultimately what I would want to see is let's say you have a clinician in a low and middle income country, you have a Nepalese doctor who's working in a rural center. He let's perhaps say, is a um, respiratory physician and he has a patient who's come in, who's deteriorating and who has uh, a, a confirmed uh, laboratory diagnosis of a certain infection with a number of comorbidities. Now, say that physician now wants to go and research, what is the best antimicrobial to give my patient? I think that clinician should be able to search that. They should be able to find a number of articles and they should be able to read that entire article and then base their treatment to that patient on that. I think that if we can make sure that when necessary, those clinicians who might be quite isolated at the moment, who are in low middle income countries, whose voices are currently not being heard in the open science debate, if we can make sure that they are able to access relevant clinical information, we will have done our job. And in order to do that, I think we need to start conversations with those clinicians in order to see hey, in your day-to-day practice, are there circumstances when you need to access information but can't? If so, what can we do to support you? I think that if we can continue to audit ourselves and do that and can continue to improve such that they can consistently say yes to us, we will have done our jobs. That's great. And thank you, Akul, very much for sharing your vision and recommendations The issue of health inequality is such an important topic as part of the open science dialogue, but is so often forgotten. Therefore, I look forward to your future discussions on this topic, but thank you again for today. Thanks, Martin. I'm Martin Delahanty, and thank you for listening. This podcast series is funded by Pfizer. Please join us for our next International Open Access Week podcast.